0: Amen. And thank you, Blaine, so much for leading us in that singing. I asked him to lead in Christ alone because it goes along so well with what we're going to be talking about tonight, and that is that Jesus is our hope. He is specifically our living hope. In Christ alone, our hope is found. If you're visiting with us tonight, I want to say thanks so much for joining us here at Mount Juliet. Um, For those of you that may not still know me, I'm Sam Boyd, uh, one of the youth ministry interns here. I usually don't talk a lot before I get started, but I will say I think I would be Remiss if I didn't say, and I think I can speak on behalf of the other interns, I want to thank you guys for uh, being so welcoming to us and so encouraging and so hospitable. Uh, And it's been a joy to to meet so many of you and to to have fellowship with you as uh, believers in Christ. If you're watching on live stream, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope that uh, if you're looking for a place to call home that you might consider joining us here at Mount Juliet. It's certainly a wonderful place to be. Last summer I was working at a camp and uh, one of the, the traditions that this camp had was that on Friday morning, those who had said enough memory verses, I think it was like 10 memory verses or something, consecutively, without any problems, the director of the camp would take them to Dunkin' Donuts. This is a very, very big deal to these kids at this camp. And so uh, it was Thursday night after a long week of camp, and I had a cabin. I think there were probably like 10 and 11-year-olds in there. And this kid came up to me, and he really wanted to go to Dunkin' Donuts so bad. He was, he was really hoping to... Uh, be able to go, and so he's telling me the verses, and he's kind of struggling, and so I'm trying to help him out a little bit, and then he just, he keeps struggling, and then it's like 45 minutes past bedtime, and I've given him all this time, and he was still like missing sentences, you know, like I said, it had been a long week at camp, he's still missing sentences, and it's not, you know, if it had been a couple words, I probably would have let him go, but you know, it was, it was, it was just not what the director of the camp wanted, and I said, I am, I am so sorry. I know you really want to go, but I'm so sorry. I can't let you go because you haven't met the requirements. And he was like, I don't want to. And I felt, oh, oh darn, I've just, I've just broken this kid's heart. And I felt so bad about that. But I bring that up because this kid had a hope. He had a hope of something that he was going to get. All of us have hopes for things. I grew up in a small town, so we didn't have a lot of chain restaurants. And when we'd go places, I would always hope that we would stop at IHOP because I have loved their food. I'm happy to report that I've, I've since repented and come into full communion with Waffle House, which is the superior breakfast food restaurant. Um, but, you know, there are things that we hope for. Um, maybe you've been driving before, as I have, and you've drunk a lot of water or coffee or something, and you're going down the road, and you're really hoping there's a bathroom because there's something that's about to be poured out, and it's not the Holy Spirit upon all believers. You know, maybe you hope for something for Christmas. I don't know if it's a new electronic or a new car. I don't know what you're hoping for, but we've all hoped for a gift before. As a young child, I can remember on Christmas morning, you know, getting up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, going in there and peeking at what my gifts were, hoping that it was what I wanted. Or maybe you've said, I hope there's good weather for the wedding on Saturday. I hope there's there's good weather for this. There's things in life that we hope for. But, you know, in reality, all of those things that we just talked about are not things that really have a lot of gravity to them. You know, some of them may be a little more serious, but those are not things that really involve intimately our lives and our interactions With other people. And the reason that I wanted to talk about hope tonight and the hope that we find in Christ is because each and every one of us has hope that we have lost or maybe hope that we still have about things that really, really do matter. About tough times in our lives, about broken relationships, about our children, maybe your own biological children or children in your community who are suffering about world issues, about a family or friend who is hurt, about your career, each and every one of us has something that we hope for, whether it's for the good of those people or for the good of something to work out or for peace on earth, each and every one of us has something that we hope for that is a legitimate hope. Now, let me give a disclaimer before I say anything else. I understand there's some issues, say, you know, a psychological issue or a mental issue that a counselor needs to deal with, and I'm not qualified to do that. That's not what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about where the source of our hope should come from as God's people. Turn your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, this is where we're going to begin, and this is kind of the base ground for everything that we do the rest of the night. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, made right in the eyes of God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which is, who has been given to us. Don't miss this. This is the cornerstone of everything that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is that peace with God through faith is how we gain access to hope. It's the source of hope. Peace with God through the faith that we have in the one who mediates between us and God, which is Jesus Christ, is the access that we have to hope. The source that we have to hope. The source to hope is not a perfect life that we fantasize and we daydream about. The source to hope is not a new vehicle. The source to hope is not moving to a different neighborhood in a nicer house. The source of hope is not anything material. The source of hope is not never fighting with your significant other. The source of hope is not any kind of academic or career achievement. The source of hope is Jesus Christ and him alone. I want you to think about, if you remember the story, and if you don't, let me just kind of set it up for you here. It's back in Matthew and Mark, and it's Jesus is on the boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And a storm comes up, and the waves are crashing against the boat. Jesus is asleep, and the disciples come to him, and they say, Lord, we're going to die. We're perishing. The storm is here. And Jesus gets up, and he looks at them, and he says, Oh, you of little faith. And then he calms the storm. Now, why is that relevant to us? Why is that relevant to talking about that, that peace with God through faith is the source of hope? Because each and every one of us is going to encounter storms in our life which shake the hope that is within us. We're going to encounter places in our life that we've never been before, in situations that we may have never thought we would find ourselves in. And we're going to have a choice. Do we run from it? Do we say, oh, I'm not going to deal with that right now? Do we say, oh, no, I don't have enough faith in God? Or do we we trust in the one and learn from the example of the disciples to have more faith than they did? The cornerstone of the lesson is this. Peace with God through faith is the source of hope. I went to this Bible camp growing up, and one of the things we did was we went on a hike. And um, it was not like in the mountains, but it was in kind of like a foothills area. And so... Every year on the hike up to the waterfall, we would pass this massive rock. Probably the only only thing I've ever seen that I would actually consider a boulder. I mean, you could probably fit dozens of people on this at one time. It was probably 20 or 30 feet long and probably like 15 feet high. I mean, this rock was massive. That rock is not moving. I mean, that's, that's a rock that will be there probably when Jesus comes back. In the same way, we have a rock that is not moving. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Now, this letter was written to uh, the believers at Ephesus by Paul. But I love the things that he says in this, and I think it's a really good reminder of what we should be striving after as we think about hope. Jesus is hope. That's the first thing we've established from Romans chapter 5. And now let's talk about another characteristic of our hope, Ephesians 1.15. For this reason... According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him a head over all things which, excuse me, and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Why do I bring this up? Well, it's because our hope has a certain authority to it. It's got, a, it's got a level of certainty to it. It's got something to back it up. It's got, it's got some headship to it. It's got a leader to it, Jesus Christ. It's not a false hope. It's not something that somebody can take from us. Many of you in this room have probably bought a brand new car before. Maybe you've bought a certified pre-owned car. And with that car came a warranty that guarantees, right, if you if you, um, you know, get in a wreck or if something happens, you know, it's going to cover that car. And warranties, you know, they vary. Some of them are for powertrain. Some of them might be for the electrical system. But, you know, whatever happens to your car, you're probably going to hope that your warranty covers that. My favorite thing is when I get a call from a random number about the extended warranty on my 17-year-old vehicle that I bought as is. And I'm like, well, that's really funny because I don't have one of those, right? It's a false hope. But our hope is not false. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today. And forever. There are a lot of things in life that can provide us with false hope. Maybe somebody came to you and said, hey, we're looking at you for this leadership position in this club or this leadership position in the company. Maybe somebody came to you and said, hey, did you hear about this person? This this is about to free up. Maybe somebody came to you and they said, hey, you know, um, we want you to go on this trip with us. We're not sure if if you're going to be able to go or not. And it's like, oh, I really would love to go with them wherever they're going. And then you don't get to go. Or maybe it's the actions of others. You trusted a person and then it ends up being a false hope because you really hope that they would do something for you. You really hope that they would do the right thing. You really hope that they would pull through and then they don't. People will disappoint us. We will disappoint ourselves. There is plenty of false hope in the world. But false hope does not come from Christ. But let's not be deceived, though, false hope can also come uh, from those who proclaim to be Christians. There's a very popular televangelist. Bear with me as I read this quote because I think it's important for us to uh, address this because of the nature of those who speak to us. I'm I'm reminded of those in Berea in Acts chapter 17 who studied the scriptures daily to see see whether the things that uh, they were being taught were true. This popular televangelist said this, the scripture says, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I say this respectfully, but we have to fight the religious spirit that says we're supposed to be poor, broken, defeated to prove to everyone that we're really humble. When we're poor, broken, defeated, all that proves is that we're poor, broken, defeated. Nobody will want what we have. I can be poor, broken, defeated without serving God. We're supposed to be examples of what it means to live for the Most High God. We should be so blessed, so prosperous, so kind, so generous, so happy, and so peaceful that people will want what we have. If you think you're showing God how holy you are and how humble you are by not wearing your blessings and not taking that promotion, your own thinking is what is keeping God from doing something, what is something new in your life. It's very dangerous thinking for two reasons. I'm sure there are more that we can come up with, but first of all, it equates material gain with God working in our lives. Some have labeled it the prosperity gospel. And the second thing it does is it equates material gain as a spiritual level to which we are to go to. Both of those things are wrong. Is it wrong to have material gain? No. But if our hope is placed in, you know what? My hope's in God, and I know that if I hope in Him, I will get this promotion. That's a false hope. If our hope is in God, you know what? I, I believe that if, if I just hope in God enough, he will give me whatever I ask for. After all, it says, you know, and it shall be given to you, right? No, that's, that's a false hope. And even those who claim to be religious, even those who claim to be Christ followers will sometimes display us with false hope that we must be aware of. But we have a hope that is certain. It says again in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul says in Ephesians 3.8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Yes, it's very nice to have earthly riches, but the unsearchable riches of Christ are worth more than anything than that. Hope is certain. Jesus is our hope, and hope is certain. When I was in elementary school, we, we, still, have, we still know these people. They're still our good family friends, but the, the, uh, the mom was a substitute teacher pretty often. And uh, as a second grader, you know, substitute teacher, so sorry for all of those that have to substitute second grade. We were wild and crazy and everything. And uh, she would come in and she would give two rules, really really three rules, I guess. She would say, okay, the first rule is be respectful to everyone. The second rule is Tom does not get wet. And for all subsequent rules, refer back to rule one. And we were always extremely confused by this because we're like, what in the world are you talking about? Tom does not get wet. What does that have to do with anything? And she would always say... When you're 16, you can ask me about it. She was like, you know, call me, call me when you're 16. So the day I turned 16 years old, I was like, hey, Miss Rachel, what, is that, what does that rule mean? And she was like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It was just something to get you guys to pay attention and refer back to rule one. And I was like, I thought there was some special meaning behind that, you know, but, th- but there was nothing there. Now, why, why do I bring up that strange story? Well, because if we look over in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, we think about people who did not necessarily um, get to see the fulfillment of Christ. It's something we're going to talk about more in just a second, but Tom does not get what we did not get to see necessarily the fulfillment of that rule, and that's because that rule didn't necessarily mean anything to us. It was something that wasn't like a secure hope to us let's see what Colossians says, verse 24, or me, verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to the saints. And before we go on, back to time does not get wet, it was... A mystery that was hidden to me for about you know seven or eight years. But then when I found out about the mystery, it didn't really mean that much because it was not something that was that important. But this mystery that we read about is something so much more special. To them, verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. You know, sometimes I think back to prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is always one that comes to my mind, but you could go through the major prophets and the minor prophets and see how they spent their lives and a lot of their lives and a lot of their time prophesying about the one that was to come. That's the key. He He was the one that was to come. They never got to see him. They never got to see the fulfillment of what he did. They never got to understand the mystery of the one whom they were prophesying about. And what a blessing it is for us today to know who the Messiah is, to know what he did, to know that he is coming again. We no longer look at this as a a mystery, but it's something that has been revealed to us, something that we can know for certain about the hope that we have in Christ, that that his hope, because it has been revealed to us, works inside of us. You think about people who maybe fought for rights, whether it was in this country or another country around the world, people who were leaders in that and did not make it to the fruition of when a law was passed that gave them uh, the right to be free. Situations like that where people give so much sacrifice and so much energy to something that they they don't get to see it. Moses, maybe, when he was sitting on Mount Nebo and he looks over and and he's, he's looking at the promised land, but he doesn't get to go in because he disobeyed God. But we today have access to the Savior that everyone else could only talk about. God uses His hope to work through us. Colossians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21 talks about the power that is working within us. So of my favorite verses it says, "Now to him who is able to do." Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know sometimes in life we we get this idea that we, we can't make a difference and we, we can't do things. And it would be naive to think that we can all go out and solve all world problems, but it's also naive to think that we don't serve a God, and we're not fueled by a hope within us that can allow us to do things that we might never have imagined to do. This past weekend, uh, the guys and girls went on two different trips. One was called Chisel, one was called Sculpt, Um, and we learned about people who serve God, not necessarily in in a traditional ministry position, but people who have stories about how they've seen someone serve God, people who serve God through their businesses or through a ministry that they lead at their church. And every one of those people didn't graduate from high school or graduate from college necessarily and say, this is how I'm going to serve God with my life. But instead, God led them to that. Instead, they trusted in him. Instead they they allowed themselves to be fueled by the hope that was within them and they followed and they they realized and they took seriously Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21 and they said, Lord, Join me on my journey and do more than I ever think that you could possibly do. And that's the prayer that all of us should be praying, that God will work in us, that God will work through the the abundant hope that we have in his son to to show others what he can do, to show others forgiveness and love and joy, and to show others what it means to be part of a, a community of people that is for the glory of God. Our hope works within us. The last big passage we'll be going to tonight is First Peter. Will you go there with me, First Peter chapter one verses three through nine. First Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. Jesus is our hope. Our hope is certain. Our hope works within us. But you know there are a lot of things like we've talked about that we can find hope in. There's a lot. But what is it that sets the hope that we have apart from hope and other things? What is it that sets it apart from, from all of the other hopes? in the world. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a stop right there, living hope. Will you say it with me? Living hope. Say it again. Living hope. And that is what is different about the faith of the people of Christ. It is It is alive. And it is alive because the one who the source from whom the source is is himself alive. He is risen. The verses there go on to talk about prophets and, and the frailty of life. And First Peter goes on to talk about preparing for action and all these different things. But the base is we have a living hope. I want to go on here after that, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and then verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being being guided through through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And all of that that we just read is a result of the living hope that is within us. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And it's that hope that fuels us and that ought to fuel us every day and fuel our every decision and everything we do. We've all seen movies, right? It's usually a superhero movie where this happens where somebody dies, and then later on in the movie, they they come back to life. And it's this big moment, and the audience may cheer in the theater, or maybe you're watching it at home for the 700th time, and you say, yes, they're back, they're alive. And as exciting as that is, it's even more exciting that we today get to celebrate a Savior who is alive and who has provided us with a living hope. And that we may go through life and we may have broken relationships. We may have personal struggles. We we look at the world and we watch the news and we say, what is wrong with the world around us? Why can't there be peace? We're disappointed about a decision we've made. We're disappointed about something going on in our career. Things aren't going like we want them to. We're feeling guilty about sins. Guess what? There is a hope. And it's not dead. And it's not false. It's alive. It's something that can fuel us. It's something that can give us energy every day. There's a guy named Phil Wickham, a contemporary Christian artist, and he wrote a song, or excuse me, he sings a song, I should say, called Living Hope, and it says, How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ. My living hope. And then the bridge. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declares the grave has no claim on me. The chorus says, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And the question for you is, do you want a living hope? Do you want to become a Christian? Do you need your hope restored? If there's any way we can help you, won't you come? As together we stand and sing to encourage you.